Hey friends, thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Soul Care Prayer Summit happening April 22nd to 24th up at Quaker Hill in McCall. The summit is for men and women who serve as leaders and missionaries in the Treasure Valley. This is a space created for you as a visionary leader to hear from God and care for your soul. And it's not just for pastors. It's for anyone who has a vision for kingdom transformation in their sphere of influence. We want to create a space for you and your spouse to pray over that and to pray for our valley together as a unified church trying to reach our communities with the gospel. We're also helping with childcare this year, so let us know on the registration form if that's a need for your family. Go to thecitynetwork.org slash soulcare to register. And now for today's episode. Many of us that are currently on staff were serving in large churches, but all had some experience globally watching the church in its viral form. And we're seeing like ordinary people who have ordinary jobs leading churches. And we realize like, man, if like they're doing crazy, amazing, beautiful stuff. And if they were here, they'd be like holding a door. Not that there's anything wrong with volunteering on a Sunday, but like there's so much more potential. And Have we domesticated the people of God by limiting serving to a weekend event? You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the podcast. I, I like that start because I just got reintroduced to my own podcast. I'm like, <laughs> hey, everybody, you, you're with your host, Robert Frazier, as my friends call me, Bobby. And it's good to be back. It's good to be together. I've got today a dear friend and we, we are on like six calls a week together from That's a thousand true. miles away. Yep. And we're always texting each other just nonsense during during those meetings during those meetings and it's he's like it's you know have you ever had somebody become your like one of your dear friends but you don't get to spend any time together that's what it feels like i think that we have been in the same room twice maybe three times no No. 
Really? We did so, that one um, exponential, uh, whatever innovator thing, Shark Tank deal. We were oh, there yeah, together. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, we did the microchurch conference in 2022. Uh huh. Were you at Tampa for that Brave Future deal? Which one? The first, the kickoff last November at Brian's house. Yeah, but you weren't there for that. Yeah, I was. No, you weren't. Yeah, yeah, I was. No, we were not in the same room. Okay. I stayed at Brian's house anyways. Then it must have been it must have been like two weekends that he did it. I didn't know there were two weekends. Uh I don't I Rob was there. You guys had like a micro church deal, like a learning community before it, and then we Oh, that was two years house. ago. That was yeah, two like years 18, ago. Eighteen months ago, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you said last year though. Oh, it feels like last year. Anyways, <laughs> I, sh I should introduce you. Hey, everybody. This is this is my friend, Brian Johnson. Welcome, Brian. He's one of the founders and directors of Kansas City Underground. If you haven't heard of Kansas City Underground, it's a micro church. It's not just a network. It's it's actually a movement. They've got how, – how many micro church and hubs are there right now, Brian, across Kansas City? Um, we're currently coaching a little over 300 disciple-making leaders. Uh, 114 micro churches, and they're connected between what we call hubs. 11 of those uh, across the city. Yeah, so that's that's movemental kind of growth. You guys are five years in to this three. Yeah, man. Last uh, I don't know when this airs or how long it is between, but uh, last Sunday, um, whatever five years ago, they didn't play as many games in the NFL. So the Super Bowl was on February 4th or something. Uh -huh. And we had done this really amazingly boring service to be like, hey, are you in? Sign this covenant. We're kicking this thing off officially. We skipped Super Bowl Sunday because why would you try to meet on Super Bowl Sunday when the <laughs> yeah. Chiefs are always in it and stuff? Um, so then on the next Sunday, man, so February 11th, I think five years ago, that just had our birthday. Hey. Felt special. That's that's awesome, man. So yeah. that's that's crazy movemental kind of growth. We'll talk about that. Talk about microchurch. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. But I just want to say welcome to the podcast, man. Glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here too. It's never, it's always a question mark when you have a meeting with me. When is Robert <laughs> going to show up? <laughs> and and what's he going to be coming from? That's always a question. So hey, you welcome to Smack Talk. We spend you know a little bit of time just messing around. Okay. Let's start off with this. Uh, you're from the South. You're I am. Georgia originally. If I originally, yes. Um, which, which part of all of the tropes about Southerners is the most true and the most embarrassing for you? Like, how would you Ooh. start with that? Um, yikes. You know, the... I feel like I always actually I tell people if you have sort of a stereotype about Southern people, I was probably that stereotype growing up, um, and a lot of it is embarrassing. <laughs> so, so cut off overalls, one ones hanging undone, barefoot, running through the woods. That's like. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it didn't happen. <laughs> Did you have a little mullet too? Like that's that's the, the All right, I didn't I didn't have a I didn't have a mullet. Uh and my overalls weren't cut off, but I did marry my high school sweetheart 
And I definitely have a picture of us on her front porch with me in overalls and a University of Alabama hat on. So okay. I'm telling you, if the stereotype is, they it exists for a reason, man. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come from nowhere, that's for sure. Uh, well, let's start there. What? Tell me a little bit about like your journey, because you've been everywhere, man. You've had so much ministry experience. Like where did where did it all start, and how did it how did it move through your life? How long do you want? You want a oh, two minute version? Give me give me the five minute version. That way we got some time for smack talk. All right, and chat college football for a minute at the end. Seventeen. Okay, I'll get there. I'll do I'll do my best for uh, five minutes. I grew up in deep South Georgia. Um, I joke. I joke, but it's true. My mama taught Sunday school and then went to the hospital to have me. So like the day I was born, I was in the church. <laughs> um, well, before, you know what I mean? Um, we were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. The whole joke about being a, a you know, if the doors were open, we were there. We That was our childhood growing up. My mama's a saint. I think she is the most amazing woman. Uh, she would do a Bible study with us every morning at the breakfast table, take us to school where she taught, bring us home. I mean, like, you know, she was the, the deeply spiritual influence in my childhood. I met Jesus at the breakfast table when I was nine years old. Um, we moved to Atlanta when I was about 13. Um, yeah, Atlanta. That that drives me crazy. Anybody that says Atlanta, that's not that's not the town I grew up in. It's A N N A H is probably the better pronunciation of that I word. Spell H O T L A N T A. No, no one from Atlanta. No one from Atlanta says that. <laughs> I know that's why we all use it. <laughs> um, we got right back into a church when we moved up up to North Georgia. Um, and I remember right after we moved, my grandfather found this guitar on the side of the road. It was a really nice guitar, too. See, this sounds like a country song right here. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, that was another joke, too. We're like, I don't know, man. Some some homeless dude was probably in the woods taking care of business. And yeah, right. guitar. His, his only way of making <laughs> yeah. money. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, so he gave it to us. And I mostly self-taught. And I, I say I was the only kid in my student ministry that could sing and play at the same time. So I became the worship leader. Oh, yeah. Um, in Atlanta around the early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So kind of a, a big sort of worship movement happening with passion there. Um, felt a calling to ministry in my junior year of high school, committed to that full time. Um met my wife there in high school and but we had this crazy student pastor man like so many stories go that uh discipled me poured into us in all kinds of ways and man my senior year of high school was just like crazy I, i'm 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 always like i don't like sharing the story now because i don't think i'd go back and do this again but i wore a homemade t-shirt every day of my senior year of high school with some sort of handwritten gospel message and I never wore the same one twice. Like that's, this is the kind of shirts. That's it is, man. Shirts. It is that's 180 shirts. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and man, he just like 
just cultivated in us this deep passion for Jesus, um, heart for the lost. Uh, fast forward, I guess. Um, I've been a part of a lot of church planting along the way, helped plant churches, planted a church. Um, somewhere around 2009, I met my friend Rob Wegner, started coaching us, this little church plant we're a part of in Auburn, Alabama, uh, about, you know, like, what does it look like to not export Western Christianity? I was helping lead mission trips overseas and that kind of thing. But also, like, what does it mean to to locally develop leaders? Man, I'm leaving so much out, but this is the five-minute version. Um, also, at that time, we were coached by 3DM and asked the question, what does it mean to make disciples? Like, have you ever actually made one? Uh, all of these things were colliding. Rob was giving me these books by N.T. Wright and Dallas Willard and Hugh Halter and Jeff Vanderstelt that were kind of blowing my mind. Um, and so we we planted a church in East Alabama there. Um, and like the we were trying to this is man, probably 2012 ish. And we were trying to like embody all this disciple making culture we were learning and missional communities. And so we were discipling people on, on Sunday nights in our home in this like kind of programized way. But like Wednesdays was this sort of um, meal and, and scripture time. And we were prayer walking our neighborhoods. And then Sunday we met in this Irish bread pub. Um, man, that's a lot of college students because they thought it was cool to meet in a bar. Um but yeah, we were just asking questions like, what does it look like to to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And that was our first microchurch, really. Like Sunday was sort of icing on the cake to everything that was happening. And that was, yeah, a little over 10 years ago. So moved to Kansas City. I'm moving on to minute six here. I'll be done shortly. I uh, got to work with Rob at a big church here in, in town. Uh, we started trying to train everyday people and how to be missionaries to their workplaces, networks of relationships, neighborhoods, and then started trying to help them see extended spiritual families emerge in those places that we call microchurches. And we've been after that for the last five years with the Kansas City Underground, and it's a blast, man. That was the high, the, like, I hit some mountain peaks. Yeah, that's not bad, man. <laughs> not bad for six minutes. All right. Well, so tell me a little about your family. You've got a handful of kids. They're always running around when you got stuff at your house. So I know yep. I know there's kids. How many are there? What's the ages? Don't say their names or birth dates because, you know, obvious reasons. But Right. Um, I have five kids. They are 12, 10, and 6. Um, so the, the middle three are 10-year-olds. Uh, they all came at the same time. That was crazy, uh, but it, sleep for five years, <laughs> it was, and then... you know, it was, it was difficult, um, but they were born at like 28 and a half weeks. And so they were in NICU for a while and God bless NICU nurses, wherever they are. Oh yeah. The, the work that they did got them on a, a pretty tight schedule that we just kept when they got out of the hospital. And it was, um, nice. that was, that was a godsend, but yeah, man, they're amazing. Um, all of them have a heart for Jesus and love him deeply. And yeah, man, I love my family. All right. Well, you've also, you got a couple other jobs, not just at Kansas City, but you work with Exponential with their, I think they're calling it Exponential Next right now. That's right. Is that the term? And you, you yeah. do a micro church. Uh, you have a podcast. What's that called? 
Um, well, with Exponential, we run a lane called Exponential or Microchurch Next within Exponential Next, which is looking at these like kind of six areas that we're exploring of what's next for the church in the West, that sort of thing. So um, our podcast just fits in with all of the podcasts within Exponential Next. So I have a few coming out. We've told some stories the last couple of years of different microchurch networks. Um, also with the Underground, we have a podcast as well called Oh yeah, the Kansas City Underground Podcast. Because I like that name. It's yeah, very descriptive. Yeah, we don't. We're not really good at naming things, to be honest. There's not there's like zero creativity. Yeah. Even though that's like the first thing God told you to do was name things and you're like oh, <laughs> we're not we're not good at that one thing. We were more in line with the people that were like orange. This is an orange. <laughs> like the color or the or the shape or you're like yeah, yeah, it's all it's all orange. <laughs> that's great. And then you also you and I work together primarily with New Thing, uh, which yeah. is a, a global church planning movement. And your role there is with the North America team. What's what's your what's your title with North America team? The title with North American team is primarily integrator, and then so some of the traction language, um, and so just trying to like pay attention to what are the lanes everybody's running, and is it all coming together in a healthy way. I also carry another title called Reproducing Churches Champion because yeah. Rob uses that kind of name and language. Um, so, that's, yeah, that's right. You feel better just saying it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also help lead Reproducing Networks Catalyst, which is helping city leaders come together to form networks, reproduce networks so that we can like together plant more churches rather than thinking just individual churches, planting churches. Yeah. Well, we need to have probably today. I really want to focus on when we jump into content, micro church in Kansas city and all that's happening there. We could talk, you know, brave future stuff. That's the stuff I want to hear. Yeah. But I think we need to have another conversation later down the road and talk about, uh, there's a new stat that's coming out, you know, Dave Ferguson, he, he finds his favorite stat every year and then uses <laughs> and his new favorite stat is that like 43% of church planters want to plant a network of churches. Um, and really, uh, yeah, that's, that's his new one. Um, I hadn't seen that one yet. That's, yeah, well, that's fascinating. I think it's true as, as the guys I'm talking to are thinking more movementally and more like uh, multiplication language. And I, I, we need to sit down and talk about the reproducing network catalyst, the movement system with new thing and how church planters can think about not just, Hey, how can I launch it or start mm. an organization like a church, but rather how can I lead a movement of church planting? How can I lead a movement of disciple making? So we'll hit all that. But first when you get on to a little bit of smack talk, cause we've just been, we've just been doing interview type stuff. Let's go. Let's go. Um, let's talk college football. You're a degenerate Roll Tide. fan. And it's, Roll Tide. It's offensive to everyone. Literally Roll everyone. Tide. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say everyone. I'm not the only fan of the University of Alabama. No, no. Everyone else who's not an Alabama fan. It's oh, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's just a piece of. Uh, well, when you're at the top, Bobby, I mean. This... Oh, the top? I thought the top was the national championship. Crap. Is that. <laughs> okay, so here's my question for you. Uh, but we do have a lot of them coming up. Why doesn't Why doesn't the Big Ten and the SEC just say our our two top teams are going to play, and we'll just call that the national championship? And here, that's coming from somebody who's out look on the outside looking in. We are a group of five. 
We're not even. I mean, with the with the twelve team playoff, there's a chance Boise State could look from the outside in and lose in the first round of the playoff. You have a blue like, field. Why are we screwing around anymore? Why don't Why don't we just say, hey, Big Ten SEC champion, they'll play for the title, and SEC is still going to say we deserve two teams in that. <laughs> let Let me, man. Here, here's the here's what I really think. Nobody's asking me for my opinion. Except you right now, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's it was I saw this video with Chip Kelly and I thought it was the best um breaking it down kind of how we should move. And the dude goes, Not that I've spent any time thinking about this, but we should have a commissioner for college football. We should separate college football from the rest of the college sports. We should have that commission, uh, amen, and amen. and we should look at regulating NIL money. Um, not that they shouldn't be paid or sponsored, but like regulate the money. We should have uh, regional like conferences in a way, so you at least place seven teams near you. Because right now, there's the you know the Big East the might have have a team on the West Oregon Coast. Is in the East. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, you can play seven teams out of conference. And then he was like, then you have a playoff. Not that I've thought about this, by the way. But then you – and I was like, that's – it needs to happen. Like, let's stop acting like this isn't the the amateur of the yeah. – this is the minor leagues for the NFL. Like, yep. it, as long as it's continued to structure this way that it currently is in, of course – your Alabamas, Georgias, Michigans, Ohio States, Texas are going to dominate because they just have more money. And it is – I don't like it. I Like, I love my team. I'm going to watch college football and throw a tailgate party every weekend like I do every year. But I, it's just – it's losing its luster because of – Certainly. And the transfer portal and I don't know, man. Here's, just, here's the thing. Like, so – I was surprised at the how the transfer portal has shaken out because a lot of guys are leaving top tier programs to go to second tier programs because they get to play which yeah. wasn't available before and so like boise state got the number one overall quarterback uh, uh rated player from usc last year that decided i'd rather go play at boise state than sit behind or compete with six guys at usc yeah spot. Which, like, that's a surprising sort of move for a guy. Or even, like, we got the number one Juco transfer on the on the wide receiver piece, which was surprising for a second-tier program like Boise State. But that created, like, he's going to he's gonna have a look at the NFL better like a lot of players from Boise State because they're going to they're gonna play a lot. They're going to get lots of catches. They're not going to be competing in the room for lots of catches. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have hope that, you know, they'll figure this out. And they'll, we'll have a better system. It's going to take a few years because money's still, as long as money's controlling everything, of course we're going to fight it. But like, yeah. it's oh, going to be collective bargaining agreements. What's going to end up being is players and schools yeah. getting down to business and figuring stuff out. I mean, what didn't Brett Favre play at Southern Miss or something like that? Yep. You know, I mean, like your your quote unquote second tier school or whatever. If if you can open up the playing field so that you see more of these guys, like. They're out there for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you got Julian Edelman, who played at Kent State as a quarterback, ends up being a probably a Hall of Fame slot receiver, you know, like those sorts of stories. Yeah, we need more right. of it. So we talked about that. Let's transition to a, a much 
sadder part of football. Um, you're in Kansas City. Yeah. This is this week was the Super Bowl championship on Sunday, and you guys had on Wednesday was the um, was the parade. Yep. Um, at which we had there was a shooting between I think two teenagers, and I just wanted to lean in and say I'm so sorry for what you guys are going through. It's yeah, man. it's a horrific thing. Um, but I also I I also wanted to invite you to like just putting on that pastor leader hat like what is what does it look like to walk with your people in a moment where tragedy strikes and it's this supposed to be this moment of triumph and obviously it turns into this moment of tragedy how how are you leading your people through it what does that look like with casey underground and caring and checking in with your folks yeah um we we talk about trauma a lot um we talk about relational wholeness, emotional wholeness. We we long to be a holistic network. Um, and this is a moment to just have conversation and to listen. Like we had friends, we had family that were down in the middle of it. Um, fortunately, nobody like really close to us was hurt, but it was about a circle out. You know, like I'm getting a text message from a guy in my microchurch saying, hey, my niece goes to school with with two of the kids. And that was their mom that was murdered. Um, so like holding that space of just listening, um, being present right now in response is more, is one of the most important things we can do. Uh, so we're just trying to do that as best we can. The church in Kansas City, I use the Big C Church language, is uh, has a, a deep spirit of unity. Um, when I moved here, there was a movement called What If the Church that had dozens of churches that participated each year in uh, pastors sharing pulpits and kind of a citywide mission. Um, there was, a, I think, a couple of hundred altogether that participated together over the course of maybe a decade or so. I don't know all the numbers, but it was a lot. It was moving to see, um, like choosing a theme together every year, uh, leading together, sharing resources in that way. A new thing that is at work in our city, we've got four networks and praying about a fifth network this year um, of church planners. So there's there's a, a lot of different things that happen. And over, over the course of the last couple of days, many of those churches have come together in a response to um, financially step in and go like, the church should do something here. We need to respond together. This is not a moment to be silent, but to respond. Um, man, I don't know how many different people are raising money for for these families and responding in that way, but uh, we're looking at it at a macro level. To like, We want to offer financial resources as the church in Kansas City, but I, man, I think it's probably 20 or 30 churches. I could show you the list right now. Um, and it's a diverse group. It's not just like, you know, the middle class white churches trying to be the savior. Like it's a genuinely diverse group of leaders who are um, coming together to create a fund that will be administered externally by the National Christian Foundation uh, to to offer, you know, financial support for funeral arrangements, anything that might be needed, but long term counseling. Um short-term counseling, 
uh, for this crisis and for future crisis. So like financial resources are not the only thing that should happen and it shouldn't be like, oh, we'll just write a check and take care of it. But in the email and and between these pastors, you can feel a sense like, what was that Wednesday, Thursday morning, they're all on a call at like early morning going like, what should our response be? How can we do it? And then like through the rest of that day, they're like getting a fund set up, getting a task force together to administer it, trying to figure out how to help people move. And then like inviting their churches together to pray near Union Station. Like, um, yeah, man, it's a, uh, it sucks. Like I've used a lot of language this week. It's a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of tears. And then there's a lot of hope. And it, and it, again, it's not just like one church trying to do one thing, but you feel a collective spirit. And yeah, um, well, I have a, a lot of hope. Happen, that doesn't happen unless you've laid the groundwork. If, right. if nobody knows each other and they don't have each other's phone numbers and you can't just like create a text chain, jump on a Zoom together, you can't have that sort of unity. And so yeah. like years and years of, you know, input and investment and relationship in moments like this, it kind of demonstrates what's yes. on the surface of unity, which is, that's cool. That's really cool, man. Um, well, let's, thanks for sharing that. We're, we're going to be praying for you guys and what's happened in Kansas City. I, I think I told you on a text, I, I was in Boston during the marathon bombing, and it brought back all of that, like, like this, this, like, anxiety, PTSD of, like, yeah. in a city that's going through trauma and it doesn't go away just because of the resolving of the situation it, no. it stays with you yeah um and and so yeah we'll be praying for you guys in this coming weeks and praying that can't see underground can be a beacon of of love and peace and justice which is way harder than just giving some money you know yeah yeah that's true yeah well so, so we're gonna jump in today, and we haven't we haven't really even talked yet about what is Kansas City Underground. What do you do? You've planted several churches, and Kansas City Underground is wildly different than the rest in in many ways. Let's start there. Like, what was the impetus? Because you guys were working with you were at a large church there in town, and kind of were sent out from there to plant this new expression. What was what pushed that? What was the vision from the beginning, and how has it how has it shifted over time? Yeah, I would tell you that quickly the vision would be uh, we want to see Kansas City filled with beauty, justice, and good news. Uh, so it's interesting that you used that language a minute ago. Uh, and that language, that idea comes from Ephesians 1, where this is the that God has placed all things under the authority of Christ, made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church, comma, which is his body, comma, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we just have this conviction that the church, which is his body, should be the fullness of him filling everything in every way. And we're not seeing that happen um, in the in the pre predominant model of church planting. Like the church in that structure can't fill everything in every way. Um, and, and we think that, I mean, ultimately, it's Jesus that's going to fill everything in every way. And we know that reality is coming but we're not just supposed to be sitting around waiting in the meantime, like he's invited us into the story. So that idea of like, what, how are we doing with the church, his body filling everything in every way? Not, not great. 
Like yeah, this, once, you, this... once you start measuring that, you're like, gosh, this doesn't look as much like I'd hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our city doesn't look, uh, it doesn't look like we think it should if the kingdom was here filling everything in every way. So that was sort of like a motivating factor behind what we were doing. Again, we were on staff at Westside and we're in this mega church, but um, many of us that are currently on staff were serving in large churches, but all had some experience globally watching the church in its viral form. And we're seeing like ordinary people who have ordinary jobs leading churches. And we realized like, and if like they're doing crazy, amazing, beautiful stuff. And if they were here, they'd be like holding a door. Not that there's anything wrong with volunteering on a Sunday, but like there's so much more potential. And yep. have we domesticated the people of God by limiting serving to a weekend event? Um, and we're going like, what does it mean? You know, uh, this language Brad Briscoe uses of, um, I don't know where he got it. Maybe he made it up, but like, there are these missional barriers that prevent people from entering into a building on a weekend. And I remember the first time I was with him, hearing him go like, when you ask people that, um, they don't speak the same language as you, they don't have the same socioeconomic status. They don't, they're not the same ethnicity. They don't have the same political beliefs or the same religious upbringing. All of those are barriers that they have to cross to come into your building. You just ask them to be the missionary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we've been the ones called to do the cross-cultural work to go back into the everyday spaces. And that like that phrase was like a, oof. Um, yeah, because because let's do that. space for people to come to us is saying, you cross those barriers. Right. Being attractional is saying, we're going to create something that we think that will work for you, but it really only works for the slice. People. Yeah, yeah. So we started uh, with these rhythms that uh, of training people, what we call the blessed rhythms. So uh, begin in prayer, listen, eat, serve story. We trained over like a six-month period, and we did multiple iterations of that, trained a, a couple hundred people. Out of that, we started hearing stories that were like, hey, I started doing those blessed rhythm things, like in my workspace. So I started showing up and just prayer walking all these cubicles. And I don't know what's happening, but like people keep coming into my office and asking me about spiritual things. Like something sure, is changing. There's yeah. yeah. There's no part that the prayer had to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> this, this guy was like, um, I was telling my boss about it. Anyway, they've invited me to New York to speak to our national uh, gathering of like 5,000 people about how uh, uh, prayer walking is changing my my office space <laughs> and we're like Just what you expected <laughs> whoa um and then uh you know another one that's like that's like a workspace another one was uh, a story we tell often which is one of our directors now she's like man i'm i'm i've been inviting my neighbors into this sunday space for 10 years and finally this lady said hey we love you please stop inviting us to your thing we're not coming like that was her reaction. You gotta love. You gotta love the honesty in that. Yeah. Like, Please stop. <laughs> We're not coming. <laughs> that's that's my response when I get too many text messages from like you know random. Me. Members. I'm like, <laughs> love of God, stop. <laughs> I, I think I sent you about forty last night. So, um, yeah. So you know, we would say that people were doing these blessed rhythms and living as missionaries in the everyday spaces of life. And the response was not, awesome, I met Jesus, I want to come to your thing. It was, 
we've got to help people create extended spiritual families in the everyday spaces. And that's the language we use. So we created this 12-month learning experience of what are the rhythms that you would need to create at the time what we call a simple church? What are the habits that you would form? How would you make disciples in those spaces and then cultivate a sense of family like Jesus did? Uh, so we started doing that. And after a year, 18 months, there were like five of these, six or seven of these. Um, and it was really like a space where you know, it it didn't feel like we needed to be in Westside trying to like make something crazy happen inside there. And Westside was the big church you were at. Yeah. yeah. I usually refrain from saying the name, but it popped out there. Um and and not because I have any shame. I I love Westside. I'm grateful for our time there. Um but I remember waking up one morning and I had this sort of vision dream of, um, this is going to sound not great, but I'm just telling you what happened. I'm a big history channel person. Uh-huh. You know, when you watch like the world war two stuff, C- civil war stuff. As a <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to, um, but Northern aggression. <laughs> I, don't get me started on that one. Cause I will go down that road passionately. <laughs> I, I repent on behalf of the South. Um, but you know how like you see those like World War II things where like the Nazi stuff is sort of spreading and it's taking over the map. I had this vision of like, um, yeah, like these micro churches existing and like where it was covering and this spread. And I texted Rob and we had been tracking Tampa Underground, which is another network of micro churches. They've been around for a long time and beautiful, beautiful work. And I said, man, I don't know. This is going to sound crazy, but is it weird to think like, what if we launched like the Kansas city underground, that would be a network in our city. Um, you know, that was maybe apart from West side. I don't, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm asking these questions and he texted back and he's like, dude, I literally bought kcunderground.com this morning. I was like, you shut up. Are you serious? <laughs> And it just felt like this moment of, um, you know, the spirit nudging us and saying, hey, this is something we should pay attention to cultivate. Yeah. Um, so there was some new leadership in at, at, at Westside that was coming in and uh, he they just asked like, hey, well, what's it like a five year dream? And so Rob and I, we started writing. And we had this 36 page document we came up with. <laughs> What every pastor dreams of is a 36 document <laughs> to shut down in an elder meeting. <laughs> oh, man. Um, when when they responded to it, I, I remember the meeting. They were like, uh, he's the, the pastor. He's like, man, I've read this five times and it's brought me to tears. And like, we believe in it and we're going to get behind it. We're going to give you some runway. Like, we, we think you should do this. That's beautiful. Um, and they did, they blessed us. And yeah, that's like how it emerged out. So like, this is the cool thing is we, we did some meetings and, um, and, and some in some homes and, and we read our, like our, our vision and our, our manifesto. We kept telling people, we're not planning a church. We are launching a mission organization that's coming alongside everyday people. We're going to train you to be a disciple maker in your context. 
so that you make disciples and see the church emerge out of new people. As Rob's not going to preach. Brian's not going to lead worship. That's who we are, a decentralized network. We told this to about 300 people. And you can see some people like, uh, I'm in the wrong room. Uh, this is not, <laughs> I, th I thought Rob was going to preach. Um, we took that down to about 150 and, and split them up into some homes uh, and cast that vision again of did like. You, did you take them down to a river and go drink out of the water? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, said the same thing again. We're like, hey, Rob's not going to preach. Brian's not going to lead worship. We want to we wanna equip you as a disciple maker to see microchurches emerge in your context. And we're, we're pulling a Gideon here, man. Like we whittled 150 down to um, about 100 and did it in a big meeting again. It was the most boring meeting you've ever been a part of. We literally just read the Apostles' Creed. We read the Lasan Covenant and we're like, do, do you want in? <laughs> and then you said, and Jesus said, drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Are you in? <laughs> drink this Kool-Aid while you're at it. Um, so the next Sunday... Uh, we had like a covenant signing and did the boring meeting again. And we, I counted them up that night and we had 72 commitments. That's incredible. And we were like, oh man, that, what a, like, what a gift to feel like just the spirit of God go, there's 72 of these little sheets, mm -hmm. um, 72 commitments and about five micro churches that launched with us with this original team. And yeah, man, that's kind of like a flyover of the Kansas City Underground, a little bit about what we do. So uh, real quick, I know I talked too long, but like we equip everyday people, um, school teachers, single moms, retired people, people that work for IT and the government. Uh, I mean, I can I keep going. And they're in all these unique contexts and they're looking at them going, these are my people. Jesus called me to disciple and I want to see a, an extended spiritual family emerge among these people. And that's what we do is we coach them to to see that. And then we say that we want to see the gospel flourish in their souls and their families. Um, and we want to see this city filled with with beauty, with justice and good news, a uh, missionary on every street and a microchurch in every network of relationships. I love that. Well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are probably listening to this going, uh, that sounds cool how and so i i want to <laughs> give a, a few minutes to talk through what it, what are the network rhythms especially at the beginning now you guys have a lot you know a lot bigger things you have to take care of on the movemental kind of level than you had to before but at the beginning what would what did it look like to help those 72 people which is like such a luke 10 jesus sending out the seven how do you how do you not love that man um and you got these 72 missionaries how do you how do you take them and deploy them? Like, what's what's that coaching look like? And then, and then, what was the natural kind of progression of launching new micro and you know building networks and collectives and all that? Yeah, there's two things. The first is um, early on, rhythm wise, we met about two to three Sundays of every month. Um, we never competed with culture. So, you know, the Chiefs are always in the Super Bowl, so we just didn't meet on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, we, um, We're just going to pass by that. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> we, don't do, we don't do Christmas and New Year's, you know, stuff. Um, we, basically, we would say about once every month, there's a reason to throw a party. Um, and there's not a reason for us to compete with it, so go do that, you know. Um, 
February is Super Bowl, March is St. Patty's Days. Um, April is usually Easter. Actually, you can get a lot of people together on an Easter gathering. Um, May is Cinco de Mayo. I mean, you can keep going, right? Like, be in the culture. Be, like, celebrate with it. Uh, but we would gather two to three times a month, and we'd have these 90-minute gatherings where we just practice things, like the blessed rhythms. We would train around discovery Bible studies, and then we would practice them. We would train around how do you hear the voice of God, like prophetically. We would actually practice that. Um, and it was just a, it was a cool time, man. Most every one of our hubs still has an equipping, a regular equipping gathering to some degree. It might be twice a month. It might be three times. It might be once a month. But you have to equip people. You can't leave it to themselves and hope they figure it out. Like they have jobs and lives. And they need spaces where you give them tools and you help them practice. Um, the podcast, we try to make it helpful and practical, to some degree inspirational. Um, we do gatherings where we just sing and pray together. We don't try to equip. We just want to be together, be with Jesus. Uh, but the most important thing we would do, or the two most important things that we did early on and that we do now, are coaching circles. That's number one. And number two would be the missionary pathway. Um, every missionary and microchurch leader has a coach. No one, no one is alone. Um, the frequency at which they meet is up to them, but we would say a minimum of once a month, you're in a 60 to 90 minute coaching circle. Um, we don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching primarily. We do group coaching. So you're in a group with other people that are probably facing some similar barriers. Um, if you're a neighborhood microchurch, you're in a coaching group with other neighborhood microchurches. We're asking, what are your barriers? What are things uh, holding you back? What are things that are, you know, your soul is longing for? How can we equip you there? Um, it's a it's a way to hold people accountable to growth as well, to multiplication, uh, but to help them be reminded that you're not alone. There are other people that are at work doing this. Um, and people always ask, how do you keep it from going off the rails? Coaching circles. You know, we have a real close, like, pulse on what's happening across all these contexts. Yeah. Um, I told you we had 114 microchurches. There's another 79 contexts currently where missionaries are engaged but just haven't seen a microchurch emerge yet. Yeah. We're, we're really excited about that number, too. Oh, yeah. And they're being coached toward seeing that extended family emerge. Um, the other piece is the missionary pathway. Um, this is, it's five phases. Uh, it's like a journey. Uh, if you had the image, it would be circular. Just imagine five circles leading back to the first circle. We would, we stole this off the wall of a movement maker in East Africa. Uh, we give credit to Isla Tassi for the, some of the language here, but I also send him money every month. To <laughs> <Yeah. obviously. laughs> we, we have actually, um, but I would also say it's just the life of Jesus. And you can find these five phases in every movement globally and historically. Every movement begins in prayer and fasting. So if Bobby's coming to us and it's like, hey, I heard about you. I believe in your vision. Where do I start? We'd say extraordinary prayer and fasting. That's where Jesus started. That's that's the ante to, set up, to step to the table. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're praying, Jesus, where are you at work? How can I join you? Um, and then... If you don't know your mission, 
If you don't know the people to whom you've been sent, we have a, a team, a coaching team called Personal Calling and Discovery to help you do that. And we help you move to phase two, which is live like a missionary among these people. You know, Jesus came back from the wilderness, from praying and fasting, and he lives like a missionary. He calls Matthew to follow him. They throw a party at Matthew's house that night. Who's there? All the tax collectors and notorious sinners, his house described. Jesus is among them. His first miracle, wine for really drunk people. Everybody likes to talk about the wine. Nobody likes to talk about the fact that it was for really drunk people. <laughs> yep, they're always like, so it's just a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> it was a party, man. That's yeah. a good party. It's yeah. a good party. Um, you know, I'll probably catch some flack for that one, but look, man, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. Um, but he's like, he's living in such a way that he's paying attention to what people's needs are. Um, which which helps him move to phase three, which is plant the gospel. Yep. So he he goes to, you know, he's with the blind man. He's not like, hey, how can I help you hear better? He heals him of blindness. Like it's, it's serving in tangible ways and bringing the kingdom in the ways that those people need, not what his ideas are or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he's always demonstrating the gospel, but he's also always proclaiming the gospel. And we tell people that, like, sitting at the end of your driveway and, like, having a round of beers with people is not, like, that might be good news for somebody that's lonely in the sense that it's creating a space of belonging. But at some point, you got to move on to proclaiming Jesus yeah. is here among us. Yeah. And and we need to surrender our lives to his lordship. We would say in those first three phases of prayer, missionary living, and gospel planting, these move you toward disciple-making. And out of new disciple making, the church is what emerges, and we call them micro churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I told you I was going to say it, but like we don't use church plant, church start, or church launch language. Yeah. We're we're going to change our, the name of our podcast because your <laughs> criticism is what we decided. <laughs> but the the reason behind that is not just to be annoying. We we're not saying that it's bad to start a church either. We're saying for our convictions, we want to see the church emerge out of new disciple-making, out of the harvest. And multiplication is the fifth phase. And we would say, as people are made disciples and live an extended spiritual family, we're hoping these spiritual mothers and fathers are listening to like, hey, you always talk about this group of people over here, how you spend time with them, the spiritual conversations. How can we equip you to live a life of extraordinary prayer and fasting, to live like a missionary among them, to plant the gospel among them, to see a new extended family emerge over there. Yeah, yeah, man, so that's how we do it. We're getting tight on time, and I want to touch on one thing real quick. Hey, Uh, wait, 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 wait. You asked me a stereotype from the South. We take forever to tell stories. That one's true. Circular kind (laughs) of, yeah, we're just going to. I'm just going to roll around this thing till we get to the middle. Um, <laughs> well, real quick. So you and I, about 18 months ago, we sat down with a, a bunch of missional practitioners who are working on the micro, the the smaller way. And we've decided that we're, we're launching this, you know, kind of thing we're calling Brave Future. Brave Future? Futures. Now it's like in my head. Brave Future. Brave Future. The, mo- the the plural one would be Brave Cities with Hugh Halter. <laughs> yeah, with Hugh, yeah, so I got to make sure I get it right. Uh, he was here last week. We had a good time. Uh, but let's uh, – so so that's happening. But uh, one of the things that's coming out of that is the Microchurch Conference happening in April. T- 
tell us a little bit about that, what you're excited about that, and how, how people can get there. Yeah, second ever con- uh, conference for microchurches. The first one was in Gainesville in 2022, Gainesville, Florida. Which was phenomenal. <laughs> it was. It was a blast. Uh, so the theme of this second microchurch conference is closer. So what does it mean to be closer to Jesus, closer to the world on mission and closer to each other in community. So really living into that ecclesial minimum that we celebrate in the microchurch paradigm of worship, community, mission, um, which we think comes out of, you know, that like Christology, missiology, ecclesiology. Um, Man, I'm so looking forward to just being with so many different networks. We have, we have networks coming from Australia, from Western Europe, from East Africa, and from all over the States. Um, we're going to spend three days together here in Kansas City, April 18th through the 20th. Um, a lot of these networks are going to be leading microchurches around those topics. The main sessions won't just be one expert leader talking at you. Um, we have a, an opening plenary session with, um, that'll kind of set the conference. Um, we have a, and a closing one that's similar that'll be a commissioning, but the middle three around closer to Jesus the world and each other will be panel sessions. So you'll get to hear from like a whole bunch of different voices. Um, but we really want this to be like family reunion. Yep. There's nothing else that's bringing microchurches together in unique ways like this. And, well, and Brave yeah. Future is, is doing that. Gainesville was a special space. It was the most unique space I've ever been in, in terms of you got, there was several hundred of us in the room sitting around tables and it felt like a space that was very flat and very open and lots of conversation. It wasn't a directional content. It was a processing space, which is so different than most, most conferences. So that, yeah, everybody, if you're out there, you should get there. How can they sign up, Brian? Microchurchconference.com. Remember, we're not, we're not really clever on our, tell it what it is. (laughs) But you want to find it. Microchurchconference.com. There's also, if you can't get to Kansas City, there's going to be, um, a stream that you guys are yeah. working on so people can be able to sign up for that. That, that yep. information is coming out. Coming in March. We'll post it on the website. Yeah, but we will have a streaming option. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for, for spending some time with me, man. We need to have part two. Maybe next month we can get, jump, sit down and do part two. Yeah, I love I love hanging with you, Hubbardchie. Me too. We, we never get to like just do the two of us with all of our friends on the podcast. You're Although welcome. We're for... doing one for Exponential next week too, so we got... Oh, we do? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's going to be fun. Dang, uh, I shouldn't so, have set that up so close. I need some Bobby space, probably. Well, we just need regular time together. I think that's what we're learning. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.